0: Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 5. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most merciful God, we thank you and praise you for your word to us this day, that we have read it with our eyes and heard it with our ears. But, Father, more than these, we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit you might impart to us in heart, mind, and soul wisdom from on high, that we might gain a greater knowledge of your word, that we might gain deeper understanding of your word, that as we do so you might work in us by your Holy Spirit, that you might strengthen us uh, in not only wisdom and understanding, uh, but as we once again behold All of the good things you have promised in your word as we once again rejoice in this uh, salvation that you have given us. Father, as your word goes forth from these lips, we pray that uh, you would anoint it in such a fashion by your Holy Spirit that it would serve your purpose in the hearts and minds of your people, that it would not return void. We pray that as your word goes forth according to your will, it might open our eyes not only to the depths of heavenly knowledge and wisdom, uh, but uh, to Christ our Savior. To the Word made flesh, he uh, who is our Lord and our King. Father, as we behold our Savior in all of his glory, we ask now uh, that you might sanctify us by his blood. We ask now that you might build us up in faith as we hear your word. We ask now uh, that you might continue uh, to strengthen us in character uh, and in hope, and that you might do all of these things according to your will, and for your glory alone, as we ask them in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Over the course of centuries, the outward look of the Christian faith has changed. It has morphed, it has adapted, it has shifted according to a wide variety of factors, both ecclesiastical factors as the church comes to greater understandings of how the word is to be applied and interpreted, but also from cultural factors Pressing in from the outside. (coughs) From monotonal Gregorian chanting. To rock concert style singing. From Christians meeting in catacombs. Beneath the streets of France and Rome. To soaring cathedrals out in the open. Where everyone can see. From priestly vestments. To jeans and t-shirts. Across the board. In both personal and communal piety, the look of the church has changed uh, dramatically over time. But there has always been a look. There has always been something that people point to and say, that's piety, that's religious devotion, that's sincere belief. Whether it is true piety or devotion or sincere belief, based on the scriptures, is sometimes in question, but that there is something that the world sees and thinks is religious devotion or religious piety is not in question. We all have those perceptions. We all have those the things that we think, as we see others practice the faith, uh, uh, that they are evidence uh, of a greater piety. They are evidence uh, of somebody who is living according to the word of God. And again, these things have changed and shifted over time. Perhaps it is monks in a cloister. If you are in the Middle Ages, perhaps it is the Amish eschewing modern convenience or the parishioner sporting lint and ashes as a cross on their forehead, or a group of ministers praying with the president, or a soup kitchen being staffed by church volunteers. Whatever it may be, Christians have often engaged in things that showcase their religious devotion before the watching world. Some of these things are truly devotional according to the scriptures, but many are not. And if we are doing such things in acts of biblical biblical obedience, to please the Lord our God according to his word, there is nothing wrong with the world seeing them. Indeed, as Jesus himself has taught already in Matthew, we are to let our light shine before men. But if we are doing such things as a way of letting people know how pious we are, or ensuring the world sees our devotion, then we are to expect nothing more than the applause of the world itself. This is the point Jesus makes in our text as he transitions from teaching us to pray to how our faith should actually look before a watching world, something he will delve into over the course of the next few chapters. And how Jesus expects our faith to be seen is often far different from the things that were pushed by the religious zealots of his own day. They're often very different uh, than the the things pushed by uh, by ministers, even in our own day, by those who purport to say this is what uh, the biblical faith, the Christian faith, should look like before the watching world. How Jesus expects our faith to be seen is not always the same as those who, who try to tell us this is what it may look like, and particularly by the Pharisees of his own day. This is something we will find him speaking out against again and again throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And so as we transition into these things, we find that Jesus takes us there from verse 14 and following in Matthew 6 by first offering a comment on the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, that prayer he had just taught concerning forgiveness In verses 14 and 15, before he then speaks to the act of Christian fasting in verses 16 through 18. And so as we look to our text, we find Jesus tell us this, For if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, as we noted a few weeks ago, we cannot use these words to think that the gospel promise of forgiveness is predicated on our own ability or willingness to forgive. The rest of the scriptures does not allow us to come to that conclusion. The gospel does not come with the strings of the law attached to it. The gospel isn't given to us that we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and forgive other people or else we're, we don't have any hope. That, that isn't the gospel. Our redemption, our salvation, our justification, all of these things uh, are given to us by God. The gift of God's righteousness is that, it is a gift. And none of these things is dependent upon any works we must do, anything we might do. And none of these things are dependent upon us forgiving other people. For as we will see in the parable of the talents that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 18 and verses 23 and following, in that parable, the king is the first one to forgive the debts. And the expectation of the king in that parable, Jesus tells us, is that those who have been forgiven will emulate him in their own forgiveness. And so, as Jesus is speaking these words, he is speaking it to those who have already been forgiven. He is speaking it uh, to those who have already received the grace of forgiveness, not as a condition of receiving that grace but as part and parcel of the Christian life that they are to live, as part and parcel of the Holy Spirit working that grace of forgiveness in their hearts. And so as we will see in another 12 chapters, as the king first forgives and then requests and requires forgiveness of his servants so our king has forgiven us he has forgiven us all our debts as we have asked him again and again the scriptures tell us that we see it over and over and over again in both old and new testaments that he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west that he uh, that he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness as those who have received that forgiveness as those who have received that grace and that mercy of God as those who have received that great salvation we are then to give it in like manner and in particular forgiveness and the truth is if we have been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ if we have the Holy Spirit in us we will be a more forgiving people If our hearts have been changed according to the power of the gospel at work in us, then we cannot withhold forgiveness indefinitely. We are still human. We may be reticent to forgive at certain times. We may allow personal animosity to stand in the way of forgiving others for a time. But at the end of the day, if we are truly filled with the Spirit of God, we cannot keep from forgiving others as we have been forgiven. That doesn't mean we should try and resist. But the hope is, as we are being sanctified, the forgiveness and the forgiving heart we are to evidence will become more and more obvious day after day. That we will become quicker to forgive tomorrow than we were today. That we will become quicker to forgive today than we were yesterday. That as, the, as we understand and fully grasp the forgiving nature of our God and King, as we truly understand the power of the gospel that he has given us, that it will take root in us, that it will work these things out in us day after day and week after week. But if we come before our God, and one of the reasons when we bow in prayer on Sunday mornings, uh, the words that are spoken is of that we forgive God and our neighbor. Part of the reason is because we cannot expect to come before our most holy God and have sin in our hearts and expect him to forgive unrepentant sin because at the end of the day that's what a lack of forgiveness is the bible tells me and tells you and tells all of us who are, are truly believers all of us who have been saved by grace it tells us to forgive others to not forgive is to sin to not forgive is to sin and it's very presumptuous of those who are sinning in that fashion the, to then come before god in unrepentant sin and ask him for forgiveness <laughs> If we will not forgive others around us, that's unrepentant sin. And to come before God, the King of the universe, who has forgiven us of everything, to seek his forgiveness in the midst of our own intransigence and our own unrepentance, is presumptuous at best and dangerous at worst. And yet we rejoice because the power of the gospel is still at work in us. We are, can be, we can be a hard-hearted people. Just like Daniel prayed in our confessional call to confession this morning, we rebel and we don't always do what we're supposed to do. And so we can't take the words of Jesus at, at face value to say, well, if we haven't forgiven so-and-so, then God will not ever forgive us. That's not what Jesus is teaching. Because apart from the forgiving power of God and the love of God, we could never forgive anyone. And so these things, again, work Hand in hand. But as a forgiven people, we recognize we do not have the option of not forgiving. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He doesn't give us the option of saying, oh, there's that one person who did that one thing, I just can't forgive. No. <laughs> Christian, if you're truly a believer, that is not an option that is in front of you. For God has forgiven us everything, and He requires us to forgive everything. And the truth is, if we have been saved by grace and if the Spirit of God is working in us, then we will forgive. We will forgive. That is the power of God at work. That is the sanctification of our souls. And as we do so, as we forgive in this fallen world, the world itself takes notice. The world notices that kind of a thing because it's odd. It's not. It's not something that fits. The world wants retribution. The uh, the world wants what they think is justice. And so, when the world sees forgiveness, particularly true biblical forgiveness, the world uh, doesn't know what to do with that. When forgiveness is biblical and authentic, it can be an incredibly powerful way to illustrate the joy of the gospel to those that are turned off by fake shows of religious piety by so many who say they were Christians. In Mid-January of this year, a man who had been drinking caused an accident on I-80 in South Wyoming and killed two daughters of an Arkansas man. And only uh, a few days later, the man whose daughters had died was was interviewed um, by a Wyoming newspaper, and like most people, In such a situation, he said to the reporter he'd like five minutes alone with a man. Now, most people would want five minutes alone with a man to tune him up, because that's our human nature. But when the reporter asked him about it, the man said this, and I quote, I would love to have five minutes with him to share the gospel and tell him I forgive him. And when that story was posted, the comments reflect the nature of our world. And most people said, this guy's an idiot. Some people say, how in the world can he do this? Some people, oh, it's just fake, he's just saying that. Some people said, wow, that's absolutely amazing. Some who know the only place that kind of forgiveness can come from rejoiced. Because there is the picture of the gospel. The world doesn't know what to do with that picture. But there it is. Not, not fake, not trying to, uh, to say, oh, this is how things should be, but just saying, you know what, I forgive. Very easy. Two words. And yet so hard for so many people. And part of what we forget is the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And if we think about it for a moment, we recognize it is only because of the power of forgiveness that we have any hope. (laughs) Forgiveness is incredibly powerful. Forgiveness is what was absolutely necessary for us to be made right with God. It is what is absolutely necessary for us as we come before him again and again and again to be assured that we are worshiping rightly. It is what is absolutely necessary for us to know that we can confidently stand before the throne of grace in the last day, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiven of our sins, to be accepted before a holy God and welcomed into his kingdom for all eternity. So it's incredibly powerful even if it's, Seems so easy, but also so hard, depending on who has sinned against us and what we are struggling with. And yet, the power of forgiveness is the power of the gospel. And it is to be seen in us day in and day out, no matter who wrongs us, no matter how they wrong us. This is not a show of piety. This is not a a, a fake thing to to wear the badge of Jesus on our, our breasts so that we can act like we're better than everyone else. No, legitimate forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It is a powerful thing. And it is something we are called to do as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Our forgiveness of others should not be done in order to be seen. But it is a piety that brings glory not to man but to God. As God himself has so richly and freely forgiven us, so does he require us to richly and freely forgive those around us, that that power of the gospel might be made manifest in us. And as our forgiveness should not be done in order to be seen, but when it is seen it should bring glory to God, the same thing is true of our other religious devotions, and particularly as Jesus begins to to speak of fasting. We are gathered in the midst of what many Christians celebrate as the Lenten season, in which there are many who profess Jesus Christ from various denominational backgrounds give up something for Lent. There are those who actually fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, but many that we know just use it to give up something that maybe they should have given up anyway, alcohol or smoking or too much dessert or too much fat or whatever it might be. But this isn't biblical fasting. And to announce it, particularly, is against what Jesus teaches in the text before us. Because the reality of biblical fasting, according to Christ, is that we don't advertise it. That we don't use it as an outward display of religiosity. That we don't try to get people to notice how devoted we are to God because we went on a diet. None of this is in keeping with the principles of fasting according to the scriptures, because fasting is not a show to be put on for others, contrary to many Lenten practitioners, contrary to many who who want us all to know how pious and wonderful they are because they fast. And so as we find in our Old Testament text in Isaiah 58, this outward religiosity is something God does not care for. In fact, he despises it, but it is also not anything new. It's what the people of the Old Covenant were trying to do with God. And so they came to God and said, why have we fasted and you don't see it? (laughs) You, You know what, God? We've been doing it. We've been fasting. We're starving ourselves. We're not eating. We're walking around all sad. It's pretty obvious what we're doing. How could you have missed it? Why have we humbled ourselves before you and you take no knowledge of it? Here we are. Everybody else sees it. You don't. I mean, you're the God of heaven and earth. How are you missing this? I mean, this is the the question that's being asked in the prophet Isaiah. Because God had rejected their pious displays of public devotion, because God knew that they were just a, a veneer to cover their hard hearts and sinful minds. And as the scriptures tell us, God will not be mocked. He is not fooled by such things. He despises such things as he speaks through the prophet Isaiah and others throughout the scriptures. And so for so many people who want to to show off their piety before a watching world, the words of Christ are like, no, that's not how this works. But if, if you do that, Jesus says, if you decide to go that way, then when the world stands up and says, oh, look at how amazing he is, there's your reward. <laughs> you, you got your lot. you got your honor. It may not be from God, but you know, you got it because that's where you really wanted it anyway because you're showing off for the people around you. In fact, as Jesus teaches in our text, nobody should know we're fasting. We should wash and dress as if we we're going about our daily business. Get up, he says, wash your face, anoint your head, put on your oil, put on your makeup, whatever it may be. When you go out, people shouldn't look at you and say, oh, what is wrong with you? What happened to you? Now, if you're legitimately sick, obviously we see that kind of thing. But if you are intentionally looking that way because you want people to ask that question, you can say, oh, I'm fasting. Jesus says, no, no, that's that's not what this is about get up put your suit on and go to work put your makeup on and go where you're going to go act like you act every single day so people don't ask you oh what's wrong with you so you can have a chance to show off with your fasting and it must be said to hear that as those under the new covenant there is no required fast we are to undertake many who celebrate lent do so by choice but some do so because their denominations require lent is not required there is no requirement in the New Testament given to us for fasting. If you choose to, to undertake a biblical fast in order to, uh, to uh, pray and spend more time in devotion to God, if you if you have a reason for it, personal crisis or whatever, to, if you choose to fast, so be it. Have at it. We have the freedom in Christ to do so. But nobody else needs to know about it. The only fast that was required in the Old Covenant was the fast of the Day of Atonement. And the only reason everybody knew everybody was fasting that day was because everybody was supposed to fast that day. It was an actual commandment. Some churches have undertaken communal fasts for a purpose, and there's nothing wrong with that if the people agree to it. But but again, the church cannot bind the conscience of people to a, a spiritual activity apart from the Scriptures, Some churches have undertaken communal fasts for for reasons of revival and renewal. But again, there's no requirement for these things according to the New Testament scriptures. And so as Jesus speaks to us, he's not giving us the the principles of of how and when and why and where to fast. What he's saying is if that's something you choose to do as a religious discipline, it's on you and keep it between you and God. Because the second you decide that that's going to be the way you show off to everybody else... You've lost the entire point of it. And you'll get your reward. People will say, ooh, look at how biblical you are. And God is not mocked. Your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Fasting or the depriving oneself of food for a set time in order to engage in prayer and meditation is that spiritual practice But the point of our text isn't to resolve these debates it's to ensure that if we undertake that practice we don't wear it on our sleeve like a badge of honor that we don't try to set ourselves apart from those christians who aren't quite as holy as we are and we've all seen people do that we've seen it happen we've probably been i've been in churches where it's that call and then you're guilted into it because somebody stands up and says well i'm going to undertake this this seven-day fast for the Lord because of this, and they expectantly expect everybody to, to join them, and then half the people say yes because then we all feel guilty. None of that is in the Bible. Because the truth of the matter is the gospel will manifest itself in and through us as we go about our everyday life, if we are doing so according to the Scriptures. And the simple beauty of the true gospel does not need our adornment. It does not need our overzealous displays of personal piety. The reality is where the gospel is most clearly seen, where the gospel is most often seen, is not in the overt or fantastic things we might do, but in the simple everyday aspects of life lived as those who are being changed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ things such as forgiving. Things such as esteeming others as higher than ourselves, things such as bearing with our spouses in times uh, uh, that we want to argue, and being patient with our children when they exacerbate us, and enduring hardship without making a scene, and showing kindness to a crotchety neighbor, and not being irritable with others after we've had a bad day, and not demanding our own way, even if we're in the right, and not resenting it when someone gets a better deal than us, and demanding our own rights, and on and on and on, all of these little ways are ways that we manifest the power of the gospel. They're not showy. They're not these big wonderful pious displays. This is the the day-to-day bread and butter of what it is to be a Christian. And so many people who want to bear witness to the gospel want to do so in these fantastic and notable and noteworthy ways. But when we want to be seen doing these things, then we become pharisaical. When we want to be seen doing these things, then the pat on the back we receive from those around us is the reward we get and that's it. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about who he is in us and how he works through us. And if we use any part or any parcel of the gospel of Jesus Christ to point to us, then we we have it wrong. Because we are to boast and this is Paul says this very clearly. Paul, who was uh, people call him the super apostle, he would I'm sure say that please don't call me that paul who who tromped around the mediterranean world taking the gospel of jesus christ into the gentile world paul who who started church after church after church that he showed up to a place and preached the gospel and he left and there's a church there paul who did all of these amazing things as called by the power of the holy spirit said i boast only in christ (laughs) don't look at paul look at jesus Don't look at Paul, look at Jesus. Don't look at the things I've done, look at the things he does. And that's how we are to be. And any time we decide to take a spiritual discipline, whether it be fasting or forgiving or anything else, these things that are good and right in and of themselves, and make it about us, we destroy what it's truly about. It isn't about us. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about forgiveness when it is most difficult, as Christ forgave and continues to forgive us. It's about loving the one who has wronged us as God and Jesus Christ has loved us with an everlasting love. It's about being devoted to God for the sake of being devoted to God, for he alone is worthy of our worship and our adoration not so that we can be heralded as being wonderfully pious. It's about seeking the face of the Lord as humble penitence. He who, he who has reconciled with contrite sinners through Jesus Christ, not wearing our religious performance on our sleeve. And at the end of the day, as we recognize the power of the gospel and as we embrace the power of the gospel in all of its simplicity, in the little ways that it is seen in our lives, not because we're pointing to it, but because we're living as those who have been filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, at the end of the day, as the simple gospel is being worked in us, our Heavenly Father will reward us richly. As we trust in him and believe in him and seek to honor his word, whether or not anybody else ever sees it, our Heavenly Father will reward us richly with all the blessings of heaven. And though He does grant reward in this life, He grants peace and joy. He, he grants times of refreshment. He, he grants us those times when we have a deeper sense of, of His holiness. He grants us those times when we have that, that renewed sense of His kingdom and an energy to pursue such things. There are those times and places in our lives where we have more of a, an assurance of His forgiveness than we do at other times. All of these things God gives us uh, uh, during the seasons of our lives. All of these things that we're taught to pray for in the Lord's Prayer, these are the true blessings of the Christian life. These are the rewards given to those whose minds are set on things above and not on on things below. But even as we receive these things, we have that sure hope of a final reward of the consummation of the promises of God given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For as we strive to live the gospel in our forgiveness of others and in honoring our God with our hearts and not just in our outward appearances, we find that we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us the righteousness of Christ. And that same Holy Spirit affirms to us the the hope that will never put us to shame, Paul tells us. The hope of glory as we are finally called to stand before our God in heaven itself and receive all of the riches and all of the reward and all of the blessing he has promised to his people not because of how pious we have been before the world but because of how gracious Jesus Christ has been to us in saving us from our sin and redeeming us for all eternity and when we get to heaven God is not going to give the rewards out to those who were seen he's going to give the rewards out to those who trusted in him He's not going to give the rewards out to those who danced around before the crowd saying, look at how holy I am. He's going to give the rewards to those that nobody saw, and yet who trusted him in the midst of darkness and despair, where there was no celebration, where for some people there was only suffering and grief. The reward is given to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are ultimately brought into heaven because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of these things we know are because of Jesus, he who died and rose again to justify us and to continually sanctify us. Jesus Christ, by whose gospel the power of God is at work in us daily to transform us into the image of our Savior, not in ostentatious and showy ways, but as we live life simply, loving God and neighbor, honoring God even in the smallest of interactions with those around us, and how we treat our siblings, our parents, our children, the cashier that gives us the wrong change. Jesus Christ, who has sent the Holy Spirit To indwell us, Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, who is, as the Bible tells us, even now perfecting that faith by his power because of his promise that we who have believed in him will not perish but stand before him with life everlasting. We will decrease and he will increase. That's the point of the gospel. And as we rejoice in the assurance that we have, all glory be to God, He who is our merciful Father, He who has poured out grace upon grace through the, through the Son, Jesus Christ, that we might boast only in Him as we await our final reward, trusting that He who began this good work in us will, by the Holy Spirit who indwells us, see it through to the very end, and that we will be not to the praise of our own pious devotion, But at the end of the day, we will be to the praise of his glorious grace alone, now and evermore. Amen. Amen.